it is when you first are getting in one of those groups, a lot of times there'll be nuances or there'll be things that, that the family says that, well, maybe your family didn't use that terminology or that phrase. It's just something new. And you're like, what in the world did that mean? You know how that goes? And so you have to listen closely to get the entire context of a conversation sometimes so that you can figure out what this little thing over here meant. And you know, a lot of times, that's how the scripture is. We just blow right through something, and we might stop and think, well, I wonder what that meant. But we didn't stop to get maybe the whole context or the whole what was going on. And what's wonderful about the scripture is the scripture helps us to interpret the scripture as we read it and as we study it and as we look closer. And, and sometimes we may even have to look in uh, from, from one passage of scripture to a completely different book or to a completely different part of the Bible to more, uh, more greatly understand what's being talked about there. But in John chapter 1, the two verses we looked at this morning, you know, verse 14 really explains verse 1. Verse 14 puts verse 1 into, uh, into some terminology that we can understand and brings, it, uh, brings some things from verse 1 that are maybe completely out of our realm of understanding into something that we can understand. And so as John wrote his, his gospel account here, inspired of God, he shows us and uh, how, how God took subject matter that was completely incomprehensible to the human mind, and God made it where we could understand it. As so I want to look at that as we look at these two verses of Scripture again in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come back to study your word tonight. I pray that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would teach us individually the lessons that you would have us to learn uh, from this passage of scripture tonight, and that you would just speak to our hearts during this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 14, or verse 1 and verse 14 really seem like they just go together. Like, what is all this from verse 2 to verse 13? Like, it's a parenthetical expression, you know? Like, John starts writing and he just kind of, you ever chase a rabbit? I chase a lot of them, you know? And if I'm not careful, I'll chase a ton of them tonight. I may have already chased one or two. But, but John's writing and at verse 1 and verse 14, they just fit together like a hand in glove. So, there's three statements in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Those three statements from verse 1 fit perfectly with three statements from verse 14. So that's what I want to look at tonight. How these fit together and how those from verse 14 help us understand those from verse 1. So let's jump into this tonight. And maybe... I won't confuse myself as we go through this. The first one we want to look at is, in the beginning was the Word. And that's something that really transcends human comprehension. To think about the beginning of time. You know, I've told you before that I often, you know, would pass out cards to the teenagers upstairs and ask them to write down some things that they want to learn about. Thinking that as I'm formulating lessons, if I formulate lessons about things they want to learn about, maybe they'll listen 
You know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll take that in. And, you know, and every once in a while when I do that, somebody will write. I don't know if they just really are interested or if they're being a smart aleck or what, but they'll write, where did God come from? You know, a legitimate question really to someone who is, who is unlearned in the scripture, someone who is a young Christian, whether they're a teenager or an adult, but it's something maybe we all ponder from time to time or we've pondered at some point in our life. Where did God come from? In the beginning was the word. It's hard to comprehend eternity. Our minds cannot comprehend eternity. This morning, we, we talked about the fact that this word, as it's translated word, here in John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, comes from the Greek word logos, or the logos being that, that source of wisdom and order and reason in the universe, the Greek philosophers would have told you. That's the logos. It controls everything. But they didn't understand it. Really, the, the Greek philosophers didn't even know what all to attribute to the logos. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know where it started. They didn't know where it resided. Did it reside anywhere? To them, the logos was, was impersonal, as we talked about this morning. And a lot of times, humans struggle with that same issue when it comes to God. Where did God come from? one might ask or one might think when and how did he come into existence to the person who is who, who's not a christian especially those who are who are questioning their beliefs they may think those things i'm 100 percent certain though that if god wants us to know the answers to those questions he's going to reveal them to us when we get to heaven but for now we're left with what god wants us to know you know, there's several passages of Scripture that, that pretty much tell us, look, you'll know what God wants you to know, and if he doesn't want you to know it, he's not going to tell you. Kind of like how when Solomon pondered uh, these thoughts, and, and he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5, he says, As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In other words, some things you're just not going to know how it works. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it says the secret things belong to the Lord. There's just some things that is only God's place to know, and it's not our place to know right now. But when it comes right down to it, we say these things are the secret things of God. People say, well, if God really wants me to think he's real, this is a non-believer saying, if God really wants me to think he's real, he'll reveal himself to me. Well, see, that's the beauty of God, is that even before the word became flesh, God had revealed himself to all of creation. And we see that as evidenced in, in Romans chapter 1, it's talking about the unbelievers, the ungodly, those who live lives uh, contrary to the ways of God. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul said every created thing 
not every created human, every created thing is without excuse as to the knowledge of the existence of God. Yet in our human minds, it is so hard to comprehend the fact that in the beginning, there was God. And so God gave us something to help us better understand him. And as we move to verse 14, from verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and in verse 14, the word became flesh. Those invisible attributes of God now visible, something that we can understand, something that we can see, something that we can comprehend. We understand flesh. We get that. We can see that. And this is what makes the Christmas story so important. This is why I think it's so important that we take time to talk about the true meaning of Christmas with our children and with those who are around us because so much of the world can't comprehend an invisible God. But they can comprehend a human Savior. 100% human while 100% God. Jesus is within the realm of comprehension. So the next thing we look at, the second phrase we look at from verse 1, it says, and the word was with God. Again, something that in the realm of our human mind is much like the first statement in that it's hard to comprehend. The word was with God. Well, where is heaven? Is it that way? Is it, I mean, we all talk about heaven. We point to the sky, right? But what if it's really over there? I mean, where is heaven? It's hard to comprehend that, isn't it? Where is heaven? Where is with God? Even those of us who trust Christ and look forward to heaven, who study what the scriptures talk about heaven and the streets of gold and the, gate, uh, the gates of pearl, it is hard for us to comprehend all the glory and the splendor that heaven will be. And that's why the word didn't just stay with God. It came to dwell among us. And we get that. He dwelt among us. We can get close to that. We can even see that in our minds. You know, one of my, I mean, ultimate bucket list. I have multiple bucket lists. Um, you know, the ones that I think are more likely to happen than the others. You know, my ultimate bucket list would be to go to the Holy Lands. You know, do I want to go there this week? Nope. Maybe things will settle down, you know, after a little while. Things are a little tumultuous over there right now. If I can't say that word, uh, things are crazy right now. But I'd love to go to the Holy Lands. You know, talk to people who've been to the Holy Lands, who, who have visited the Holy Lands. And they say, you know, when you, if you go to the Holy Lands, you, you read the Bible in 3D. You read the Bible in a completely different way. Because, you know, it's, it, it may talk about you know, Jesus, you know, being, uh, teaching from a specific place. You're like, hey, there's the steps. Jesus walked on those steps. You know, there's, there's of course, several places that are very... Uh, that have been um, designated, uh, like, say, for instance, uh, 
the, the, the location of, of the, the cave, the, the, the manger, the stable where Jesus was born, whether or not that's the real location, just simply being able to lay your eyes on and visit a place and say, is this the place where Jesus was born? You see that completely different, and it brings it all to life. The fact that, that the word, that Jesus, that God in human form came and dwelt among us, we can understand. We may have a hard time comprehending the word was with God. We can comprehend that he dwelt among us. And the fact that he dwelt among us and displayed his glory among thousands of witnesses gives credibility to our beliefs. It would be real easy for somebody to argue and say, you know, I don't believe in that Jesus because he just dwells in heaven. And where is heaven? Can you prove that? Well, I can prove he dwelt among us. And I can prove that he, that he, he did the miracles. And I can prove that, that, he, that he healed the sick and he, he gave sight to the blind and that, that he turned the water into wine. And he did all these things to prove who he was because he did it in front of thousands of people. And we can get that. And the fact that he dwelt here gives us a greater ability to understand the fact that he dwells somewhere else today. And that if that's the case, he must be doing what he said he'd do. And what did he say he'd do? He said, in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, he, he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I'll take you back with me. The fact that he dwelt among us, we can understand. You, you've, you've heard people say before, and I've said it before about different things. I'll believe it when I see it. John said, Jesus dwelt among us. We saw it. Believe it. We get that. The last statement that we look at in verse 1. It says, and the word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The last statement here in verse 1 may be the most difficult for a lot of people in this world to comprehend. Who is God? May mean The word God may mean different things to different people. We're talking about Jehovah God. We're talking about the only true God. Who is God? God. John said he's the one who controls everything in the universe. He's the Logos. He's the source of all power. He's the source of all reason. He's the source of all wisdom. He's the source of everything. Have you ever had a person describe another individual to you and you set in your mind what you think that person is? You have a mental picture of that person. Maybe they describe a lady to you and they tell you all about her and they never really told you about her physical attributes. They're just telling you about her and you've got her picture in your mind and you're thinking, okay, she's probably got blonde hair, you know, kind of tall. Then you meet her in person and it's nothing you expected, you know? One time somebody was telling me about an individual and, uh, by the name of Carol. Oh, I had Carol all pictured in my mind. Carol was a man, you know? I mean, sometimes we just, somebody describes something to us, or not necessarily, but tells us about a person, 
and we get the wrong picture in our mind. And I should have known that when I have an uncle named Carol, you know, but we don't call him that, so that's what I didn't think about that. But I think that happens with God a lot. Because of things people say, maybe because of the way Christians act, people get the wrong view of God. Who is God? What does he look like? What are his characteristics? What are his mannerisms? Maybe because of the things Christians say sometimes, people get the wrong impression of who God is. So it says the word was God. John thinks it's important for us to know who God is. And he tells us that through those attributes. He's one who's full of grace. And he's one who's full of truth. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's so important as we live our lives, we portray God. We portray Jesus Christ in the right light. Not one who's going to strike you dead because of your sin. You know, you hear somebody say, oh, you, you better not sit close to a window with what you're telling. As if God's going to send a lightning bolt and strike you dead. As if he's, if he's, if he's not a God of grace and a God of love. That's how we need to make sure we express him to other people, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of God's grace. And he is the full expression of God's truth. Over in John chapter 8, we read this of Jesus in verse 31. It's beginning there. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, it's Jesus talking. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is the full expression of God's truth. Jesus says, abide in my word, abide in my teachings, abide in, in, in the way I live and, and mimic the way I live and the way I love. And you'll find freedom, free, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from the guilt of the past. And I'm reminded of the lyrics of the song. It says, I'm, I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. Jesus is the expression of God's grace and God's truth, providing us freedom from the bondage of sin. And we need to make sure we express him as such and live in such a way because, you know, you say, well, well, Brother Jeremy, I've never told anybody anything different about Jesus. Well, we all need to be careful because when we identify ourselves as a Christian, we're telling people that we're living our lives in a way that we feel like reflects Jesus. So what do we show people just as we live? We tell people a lot about what we think about Jesus in the things we say, the things we do, the way we act. Let's make sure we're giving people a proper view of who he is. He's full of grace and truth. These attributes of God's glory emphasize the goodness of God's character, especially in relationship to our salvation. And for those of us who like to call ourselves Christians, 
we ought to strive to ensure that these words can be attributed to our character, which ultimately we can sum up these two words, grace and truth, in one word. Love. Love. And I hope that as we move into the, what may be the busiest couple of weeks of the whole year, that that's how we demonstrate who God is to those around us, that he is love.